guys. Um, good morning, everyone, and good morning to anyone um, who's watching on live stream. Great to have you with us as well. Um, it'd be great to keep your Bibles open to that, that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we're going to be going into that at the moment. Let me just pray for us as we start. Heavenly Father, God of all wisdom, please be working now through your spirit to help us understand your word, that our faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on your wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you wise? That's the big question the passage is asking us this morning. Are you wise? Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you your IQ or um, whether the room goes quiet when you speak uh, or whether you're a whiz at Scrabble. Uh, the wisdom we're focused on this morning is spiritual wisdom. Who are the spiritually wise, the spiritually mature? And where are we at on the spiritual wisdom scale? Now, these are important questions to ask the Corinthian Christians because if we, as we've seen over these last few weeks, they very much seemed to think that they were the wise, spiritually mature ones. And uh, they seemed to think that Paul's message, well, it's a bit simple, you know, a bit, a bit boring, a bit lacklustre. There wasn't really the same kind of zip and energy and hype of the, uh, the Greek philosophers of the day who were engaging and interesting and clever. That was the culture in Corinth. And it seems that the Corinthians had fully imported that culture uh, into, and its values into the church. You didn't have to dig down very deep to see that these believers really weren't that different from the world around them. The wisdom of the world valued power and status and cleverness of speaking. The Corinthians valued that too. And the way they got those things was through boasting and factions and, and backbiting. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. They thought they were so wise, so spiritual. And yet they were oblivious to the fact that their wisdom was worldly. And it was completely out of sync with the wisdom of God. So in today's passage, Paul is going to address their misguided views on wisdom. And he's going to answer three questions. Firstly, what is true godly wisdom? Uh, verses 6 to 8. Secondly, how do we get true godly wisdom? Verses 9 to 13. And then thirdly, are you spiritually wise? Verses 14 to 16. So, what is true godly wisdom? We saw last week in verse 4 that when Paul first preached to the Corinthians, he deliberately chose not to use the, you know, the rhetorical tricks of the philosophers, the wise and persuasive words. But now at the start of our passage, verse 6, Paul clarifies what he means. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing no, we declare God's wisdom. Paul's saying here there's two competing kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of this age versus the wisdom of God. But here's the thing. If your concept of wisdom has been conditioned by the wisdom of this age, then you may not recognise God's wisdom, even if it's, you know, staring you in the face. 
because true godly wisdom looks completely different to the wisdom of this age. Now, what is true godly wisdom? Well, we saw last week, um, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So true godly wisdom, it's the wisdom of the cross. And what does the cross achieve? Well, we saw in chapter 1, verse 30, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's what the wisdom of God looks like, the wisdom of the cross. But then in contrast, there is the wisdom of the age. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Well, Jesus actually uses this term age to divide history up into two epochs. Uh, he speaks of this age and the age to come. And it all hinges around the second coming of the Lord Jesus. This age is everything before the second coming, so the times you know that we're living in now. And then the age to come is when Jesus returns and we see him in his kingdom in all of his glory in the new creation where Jesus will reign unopposed as king. This age, however, is characterised by a kind of wisdom that seeks to ignore God and his right to rule our lives. It's the wisdom that we all naturally subscribe to uh, if we haven't yet trusted in Jesus. And the source of this wisdom, can you see there in verse 6? It's the rulers of this age. Now, who are these rulers? Well, notice down in verse 8 that these rulers are responsible for crucifying the Lord of glory. So I guess the plain reading would suggest that the rulers of this age are people like Israel's leaders and also the Roman rulers, Pilate and Herod, who were responsible for crucifying Jesus. However, Paul also uses this term rulers in other places as well uh, in his letters. So, for example, uh, in the Ephesians 3 passage we just read earlier, Paul says that through Jesus and his church, the wisdom of God has been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And then in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul also tells us that our spiritual fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So coming back to 1 Corinthians, I think it's fair to say that the rulers of this age refers to both human opposition and the spiritual forces of evil behind them who operate according to the wisdom of the age, a wisdom that pits itself against God and his plans and purposes in Jesus. Now, these rulers of the age, they, they may look uh, victorious. It may look like they defeated God and his son at the cross. But they were clueless about God's wisdom, <coughs> clueless of God's plan for Jesus to actually take the punishment for our sin on the cross. Because verse 8, if they had any inkling of what God was doing, there is no way that they would have crucified the Lord of glory. See, they were playing right into God's hands, his plan. And ultimately, verse 6, the cross actually seals their own destruction. Can you see there? The rulers of this age are coming to nothing. But they had no idea. Why? Because verse 7, it was a mystery 
that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The rulers of this age could have never worked out God's plan. I mean, no one could ever think that the most profound expression of God's power, the the deepest expression of his wisdom, could be his son dying naked on a cross, taking the punishment for sin. No one could ever have guessed that. It was a mystery. Okay, so there are two ages with two very different types of wisdom operating. There's the wisdom of this age with its pride and its opposition and its treason against God. And then there's the wisdom of the age to come. The true godly wisdom of the cross where Jesus has died for our sin and we look forward to the time when we will be uh, with him and he will be reigning unopposed as our king. But here's the th- excuse me, but here's the thing. In Jesus, we actually see the wisdom of the age to come breaking in to this present age. Jesus shows us what the glory of the age to come will be like. We don't experience it yet in all of its fullness, but we can see in Jesus what true godly wisdom looks like. It looks like the wisdom of the cross. But because God's wisdom is not of this age, the people of this age, they don't understand it. They just can't see it. And the danger is that even we who have trusted in Christ, even we might also fail to understand how the wisdom of the cross has implications for every single area of our lives. The Corinthians were missing it. You know, they they were still living just like the world around them. And we'll miss it too if we continue living our lives according to the wisdom of this age. See, the wisdom of this age has no future. It might seem impressive. It might seem like it's the way of power, strength and success. But it's coming to nothing. It's so fleeting. And ultimately, it will rot. Think of the finance guru, you know, whose wisdom only lasts until the next interest rate rise. Or uh, the science guru, now downgrading Pluto to a dwarf planet. I mean, what's that about? Poor Pluto. Think of the, uh, think of the health guru, whose diet advice changes year by year. Vegan, paleo, FODMAP, keto, caveman. But the biggest change I think we've seen in our societal values uh, is, is in the last 10 years. You know, what the Western world holds to be tr- true is just changing so rapidly. So much so that you might find people born just one generation before you or after you who hold values that are vastly different to your own. And so we see people on the news, you know, you've seen them trying to um, tear down statues and and erase history and and cancelling pretty much everyone and everything. I'm sure you've probably kept up with J.K. Rowling's story. Uh, At one point, she was the pin-up girl for her strongly feminist views, now cancelled when those same views put her in conflict with the trans community. What this shows, I think, is just how limited, how transient the wisdom of this age is. It's so fleeting. So how tragic when you and I get infatuated with it. And when we import the wisdom of the age into our church life, how tragic is that? 
when, like the Corinthians, we get caught up in boasting or gossip or factions, or when we crave power or influence or status or approval, or when we choose leaders because, you know, they're great visionaries and they're clever communicators and they seem so, so successful. They seem to be able to draw a crowd and yet they have no character or integrity and they just leave a trail of destruction in their wake. How devastating for the church. How tragic when we imitate the wisdom of an age that's coming to nothing. So what is true godly wisdom? It's the wisdom of the cross where Jesus has died for our sin and we look forward to the time when he will reign unopposed as our king in the age to come. But now the second question, how do we get true godly wisdom? Because we've already seen, you know, that God's wisdom was a mystery. It was hidden from the ages. And then verse 9, Paul further underlines how impossible it is for us to obtain God's wisdom on our own. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. What an absolutely incredible hope we have as followers of Jesus. Now, I cannot wait to see what God's got in store for us in glory. Can you? It's going to be amazing, isn't it? But actually, what Paul's saying here is that left to our own devices, it's impossible for us to comprehend that. God's wisdom is inconceivable. No mind has conceived. On the cross, God announces to the world his wisdom. But because we're so infected with sin and with the wisdom of this age, we just don't get it. We're completely in the dark. We can't get it. We can't comprehend it. This graffito uh, was found by archaeologists on a wall on Palatine Hill. Uh, It's in Rome. They think it's from around about 200 AD, and it's actually the earliest known depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet, it's poking fun at a Christian called Alexamenos. The, uh, the writing translates, Alexamenos worships his God. And you can see there that Jesus is pictured on the cross with the head of a donkey. Because, see, for the Romans, they simply could not comprehend why Christians would worship someone who had died a shameful death of crucifixion. Roman gods didn't die. And if they were to die, well, they'd die a hero's death, not the death of a criminal. Made no sense. It's foolish. And likewise, in our day and age, the wisdom of the cross is seen as foolish, outdated. Or in our current culture, it actually can even be seen as dangerous. The wisdom of the cross is inconceivable to the world around us. It makes no sense. The only way we could start to understand it is if God himself revealed it to us. Which is exactly what he's done. Verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay. 
Here's my little experiment. I want you to look at a person across the room, someone in your line of sight. Would you please do that now? Look at someone. Everyone's looking at me. Stop looking at me. Look at somebody else. (laughs) So someone, it could be your next door neighbour or someone across the room. Now, what are they thinking? They're probably thinking, this is really awkward. Why is he making us do this? But what were they thinking three minutes ago? What were they thinking? Who knows, right? I mean, maybe they were thinking, how long is this bloke going to go on for? Or, you know, what am I going to eat for lunch? I mean, we've got absolutely no idea, do we? If we can't know what the person sitting opposite us in their human mind is thinking, a mind that is built basically the same as ours, what what on earth makes us think we can work God out, what God is thinking? What in a million makes us think we can do that? We just don't have the categories. It's like your goldfish at home. Hear me out. Could your goldfish work out what's going on in here this morning from its goldfish bowl? Does it know how to cook pasta or how to catch a train to Central? Of course not. It just lives in its little bowl, doesn't it? In its own little fishy existence. And anyway, if by some miracle it did start to work out the Sydney train network, be smarter than me, but it would forget it in 10 seconds, wouldn't it? Because it's a fish brain. What in a million years makes us think we can work God out? We just don't have the categories. What an absurd and, and can I say, an arrogant notion. Philosophy, psychology, science, humanities, the arts, they they all have their place but they're the wisdom of this age. They can't work God out. They're in different categories. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Revelation must be God-given. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Now, before we go on, can I just say it's absolutely essential that we understand the first person plural pronouns in this passage. Now, if you've uh, grown up like me, not learning grammar when I was at school, what I mean is this. What is Paul saying when he says the words we and us? Just have a quick scan over the passage there and you'll see uh, Paul uses we six times and us twice. But what does he mean? Is he talking about us, we, all Christians? Uh, or is, he, is Paul using, you know, the, the royal we to talk about himself? Well, no, I, I think he's actually talking about we apostles, uh, the apostles, because they are the ones who had the message of Jesus revealed to them by the Spirit. We actually saw this uh, in the Ephesians 3 passage we read earlier. Paul said, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles. So who are the we? Well, firstly, it's the 12 apostles who followed Jesus and they were witnesses to his life and his death 
and particularly his resurrection. And then there was also Paul, who witnessed the, the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he became the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so God reveals his wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. So now let's take that understanding of the we and the us and apply it to verses 12 and 13. Let's read through that. So verse 12, what we, the apostles, have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we apostles might understand what God has freely given us. Apostles, this message is what we apostles speak, not in words taught to us apostles by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with words from the spirit. So, God has revealed his secret and hidden wisdom through the wisdom of the cross. But because we operate according to the wisdom of the age, we fail to grasp his wisdom. So God then acts through the Spirit to reveal his truth to the apostles, those who are with Jesus and who witnessed his resurrection. And Jesus has then commissioned his apostles to write that truth down so that we in the generations that followed can also now read it and we can know God's truth for ourselves and put our trust in Jesus. Now, as a Christian, it's hugely important that we get this straight. Otherwise, we'll actually play into the very problem that was going on in Corinth. We might say, oh, yeah, look, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I've got the Spirit. So God reveals things directly to me and, and you know, therefore I've got my own God-given truth. No, it's not like that. The Spirit revealed God's truth directly to his apostles. They are the ones who have the truth because God revealed it to them. So everything we need to know now about God and his plans and his purposes is in the Scriptures. It's in the Bible. That's the full and final authority. There is no new revelation because we don't need any new revelation. But why is that so important? Well, it has massive implications for what we believe and for how we live as followers of Jesus. Scripture must be our final authority on everything. It has to be our bedrock that we go back to. So, for example, think of the Corinthians and all their factions and, and divisions. I follow Paul, I follow, I follow Apollos. But if Scripture is our final authority, there shouldn't be any divisions. Because we should be all singing from the same hymn sheet, the, the same Bible. It should drive us towards unity as we all come before God's word together and submit to its authority together. And then for those of us who don't yet follow Jesus, what does it mean for us? Well, have you ever heard yourself saying something like this? Ah, uh, you know, I like to think of God like this. Or, you know, my God is a God of love. Something along those lines. I've heard people say things like that all the time. I think this passage challenges us with this question. How do you know? I mean, how on earth does anyone know what God is like unless God makes himself known. 
pardon my bluntness, but what on earth makes us think we're qualified to judge what we think God may or may not be like? Or that our earthly wisdom is somehow going to be any good in the matter? There's no way of knowing what God might be like unless God makes himself known. He has to reveal himself to us. And he has in the Bible. When God's word speaks, the spirit speaks. So God speaks. But are we able to hear him? Which leads us to the third question. Are you spiritually wise? Verse 14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So the wisdom of God has been revealed by the Spirit to the apostles who've written it down for us. But here's the thing. We also need the Spirit working in our hearts and minds to be able to understand that message. Without it, the wisdom of God just goes straight over our head. which just falls on deaf ears. We just don't get it. In our first year working in Ireland, um, one of the local Irish lads invited me along to his Catholic prayer group. And uh, so I went, I went a few times and uh, I wanted to just check it out, you know. And uh, what happened was this. Uh, for the first hour or so, they just prayed through the rosary. So they're our fathers and their Hail Marys and that sort of thing. Um, and then at the end of that, they read out a Bible passage. And then some of them shared what they thought the passage had to say to them. And to be honest, what followed was, was actually really heartbreaking uh, because it became clear really quickly that they just didn't have any, under, any understanding of the scriptures at all. They just didn't get it. They had no idea what to do with it. They knew that Jesus had died on the cross, but they had no idea why or what it meant for them. So they would just kind of share all sorts of, I guess you'd call it worldly wisdom, kind of things that they thought sounded encouraging. But really, they didn't have any idea what to do with the passage. The third week I was there, they asked me whether I wanted to share anything. Um, the passage they'd read, read from was Romans chapter 5, and uh, so it was actually a really great passage to be able to share the gospel. So I was able to talk about how Christ died for our sins while we were still sinners, still enemies with God. And do you know what their response was? It's just a sea of blank, confused faces. Now, why is that? Well, you know, look, it, it could have been that I wasn't clear enough. That's certainly possible. But from what we read here in verse 14, even if I was crystal clear, it wouldn't have made any difference because these things are only discerned by the Spirit. Maybe you've had the same experience yourself. You know, um, you've shared the gospel with someone and, and received that same blank reaction. Or maybe they've even gotten angry with you. Well, don't lose heart. Let's just keep praying for them, that the Spirit will be working, uh, helping them to understand the gospel so that they can come to know Jesus. Can I also just say, if you yourself um, are finding the Bible really hard to understand, uh, and you just don't really get who Jesus is or what this is all about, can I encourage you to pray? 
Now ask God to give you his spirit to help you to understand the Bible. That's a prayer he loves to answer. And please speak to um, myself or to Ted or someone else that you know here um, afterwards. We'd just love to help you out in any way we can as well. But what if you have received God's wisdom through the Spirit and you've put your faith in Jesus? Well, now you are going to be able to be spiritually wise and discerning. Can we see there in verse 15? The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul's saying here that when we've received the wisdom of the cross, when Jesus is your Lord, then you have the Spirit operating within you. And so you'll be able to judge what people are saying as you compare it against God's word. You'll be discerning. Not that you should be arrogant, but you'll, just, you'll be able to discern whether what you're hearing lines up against God's word. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit acts as an internal truthometer, you know. Um, bells will start going off when you hear something dodgy, something that doesn't line up with God's word. One Easter, um, our neighbour in Ireland invited us along to an Easter service at the local Anglican Church of Ireland Cathedral. She was singing in the choir and the Bishop of Waterford was preaching. And I have to say, our internal truthometer was maxing out at 11. Bells were going off pretty much every sentence he spoke. Um, this guy was without doubt the biggest heretic I've ever heard in my life, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, it was breathtaking. You know, he, uh, he questioned the reliability of the Bible. He called it a myth. He said, Jesus didn't die for our sin. What a hor hor horrible thought. And then he even somehow managed to shoehorn in his positive views on same-sex marriage within an Easter service. See, we need to be discerning. We can't just assume that someone up the front wearing a dog collar is speaking God's word faithfully. Or think about leaders of mega churches or you know TV evangelists. They might look successful, but are they preaching God's truth? And are they living God's truth? In the last few years, we've seen so many scandals. Highly influential leaders in the evangelical churches, uh, people like Mark Driscoll, Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, they've been found out for their bullying or their sexual misconduct. We've got to be discerning. And I'm sure our own leaders here, you know, Roger and Dave, they'd want us to make sure we don't just blindly follow what they say as well. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. Not that we'll be arrogant or judgmental, but we just need to be always checking what we're hearing and what we're seeing against God's word because that's our final authority. So... Are you spiritually wise? Are you discerning? Are you careful how you hear? And will you accept the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the cross, revealed by the Spirit, given to the apostles, written down for you in the Scriptures, so that you may know Jesus? And if you will, wow, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him.
in the age to come. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you that your wisdom, a mystery hidden from before the ages, has now been revealed in the wisdom of the cross. Thank you for sending Jesus for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who has revealed these things to us through the scriptures, through the apostles. We thank you that this same spirit now dwells within us through the Lord Jesus, making us wise for salvation and making us discerning. Help us, Lord, to know your word as we study it more and more, to understand it with the help of your spirit and to make it the final authority in everything that we think and believe and do and say. And Lord, we pray for those we know that have not yet understood the wisdom of the cross. Lord, we ask that you would send them your spirit, that they too may understand the gospel and trust in Jesus and be with him in the age to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.